you have your Bibles, I'll be in John 4 today. We're in the series of messages called Faces, where we are looking at the people that Jesus encountered during his life and how he ministered to them and reached out to them. You see, you never know how you might impact someone whenever you simply try to be like Christ in your own life. Now, none of us can be perfect, none of us are Christ, but as Christians, whenever we try to be a disciple, we're trying to live our lives like Christ. And so as we see Jesus and how He ministered to people, we therefore get a model of how we too can minister to people and reach out to them. Uh, In my own life, these past few weeks, uh, things have been a little bit hard. Uh, Six weeks ago, I almost lost my sister. Uh, She is battling pneumonia, a a rare strand of pneumonia. And about six weeks ago, she really just got critically ill. And then uh, she had a reaction to some antibiotics as they were trying to kill it too quickly. And that almost got her as well. And so we went through the emotions of not knowing, is my sister going to make it or not? In fact, she's still in the woods. So be praying for her. Her name's Debbie. Her birthday is today, and she's still battling this pneumonia in her life. So we're dealing with the emotions of of what's going on in her life. Uh, On Labor Day, my dad was rushed into surgery. Labor Day evening, he uh, had what proved to be a life-saving surgery, abdominal surgery, and so he's been in the hospital. He got to go home on Friday, so we were dealing with the emotions of that and then also trying to help my mom and make sure that he was cared for properly. And so all this has been going on, and then Tuesday afternoon I get a call from my wife who says, hey, can you come home a little bit early? Uh, I'm not feeling well. And so uh, Tuesday through Wednesday we have hurricane stomach virus blow through our household. And you know, you've just never lived until the whole family gets sick together, right? You ever had that experience where every kid, one after another, winds up getting sick and you're getting sick as well? And so, you know, uh, uh, you say, well, the question that keeps coming up is, how did Bennett do, the baby, in the whole thing? Well, well, Bennett's okay. He, he amazingly didn't get sick with the stomach virus. He's just teething. So he's happy and, and everything's well because, you know, his life's all, all in good shape. So all of this has been going on in our lives. And, you know, there are few things harder in life than seeing people that you love ill. Seeing people that you care for in a situation where you can't really fix it. And it quickly reminds you of how little control you have in life and how important faith is in life. Now, I'm sure in your own lives there's many of you that can relate because there's been a time where your sibling, your parent, you, your child was ill. And you you reach that point where there's nothing that I can really do to help them. All that I have here is faith. And you began to, to realize the importance of faith in God and how that carries you through those difficult moments. Well, today we're going to look into the face of a man who was dealing with something that as a parent is unimaginable to me. He was dealing with the loss of his young son. And so he reaches out to Jesus 
In verse 46 of chapter 4, the Bible says, Then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. Now Jesus is in the little town of Cana. Jesus is a legend in this town. It was there that he performed his first miracle. And let's see if you were listening. What was the first miracle of Jesus? He did what? He turned the water into wine. So Jesus is legendary in Cana. And whenever he comes back to Cana, there is a little bit of a buzz in the air. Get it? Uh, There's a little bit of a buzz in the air. Everybody is excited that Jesus is back in Cana. Well, this royal official hears that he is there, and he goes to him to reach out. Now, he's likely a Jewish man, this royal official is. He was probably part of King Herod's court. He was likely a powerful man. He was also likely a wealthy man. But he had a real problem. His son was about to die. And evidently he loved his son very much. And so all the power that he had worked so hard to obtain, the promotions and the positions that he had worked for, they were useless when it came to helping his son. All the wealth that he had gathered, the savings accounts, the stocks, all the properties that he had collected. He could spend money on doctors, but ultimately they had proven useless in helping his son. And so he comes to Jesus heartbroken. He comes to Jesus pleading with him to help his son. You see, in his crisis, he turned to the one thing that he still had. In his crisis, he turned to faith. And so he looks into the face of the Son of God and he says, come with me to Capernaum so that you can heal my son before he dies. And what is the Savior's response? Verse 48, Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now you say, that's an unusual response to this man. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Essentially, Jesus is saying, uh, it seems as though the only reason you guys follow me is because of miracles, what, what you see. It seems as though the only way that people will believe is if they see, like the mantra of faith has become seeing is believing. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Now let's dive into verse 48 a little bit. This whole idea of seeing is believing. You see, in life, there is a choice that all of us have to make. I have to make this choice, and so do you. Are are you a person of faith, or are you a person who is a seeing is believing kind of person? I don't have faith unless I can see it, feel it, touch it, unless it can be empirically proven to me. Now, to be fair, There is something to be said 
foreseeing is believing. Faith is not a blind jump into the dark. You know, uh, whenever you face surgery, you don't want a doctor who has never seen this before. Whenever you go into surgery, you don't want a doctor to come in and say, I saw this procedure on YouTube, and I think I can do it too. You don't want them to say, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, and so I feel really confident. You want that doctor to have seen this before. You want him to have confidence in what he's doing. Uh, When it comes to marriage, before you enter into holy matrimony, really even before you allow yourself to fall in love, you need to take some time to see how that other person lives life. I tell couples, you need to go through the seasons. Observe them in at least four seasons. Watch them as they interact with people. Watch and see, can they keep a job? Do they learn? Are they an ethical individual? Do they love God? Do they make you love God more? Observe how they live their life before you fall in love with them because once those emotions begin to flow, it becomes very difficult to slow things down. In practical matters, before you buy a truck, before you buy a vehicle, you want to test drive it. You want to see how does it run? Is it big enough? Do I like this vehicle before I spend $20,000 or more on this car? Uh, Can I see that it's going to meet my needs? So seeing is believing, has validity in life. I, I don't want to dismiss this, but at the same time, I think we have to realize that being a seeing is believing person only takes you so far. There comes a point in life where to truly be alive, to truly live, to enjoy this human experience, you must have faith. There's times where you simply have to believe. Believe that God is in control. Believe that God exists. Believe that He can take care of matters that you cannot. Whenever my dad went into surgery on Labor Day. His surgeon was named Dr. Allen. We uh, met Dr. Allen two hours before the surgery. None of us had met Dr. Allen in our lives. Whenever he left the room to prepare the operating room, I googled him to find out that he was a real doctor, you know, but that's about the only knowledge that I had of him. I mean, two hours after I meet him, my dad's life is in his hands. We, we had to trust him, but ultimately, we had to trust that God had put Dr. Allen there at that point to take care of my dad. Whenever Stacy and I got married, before Stacy and I got married, we dated for two and a half years. Man, we, we pretty well single-handedly kept chilies in business during our dating time, and we tried to get to know each other, and we called each other on the phone and did all that. No, you hang up first. You hang up first. No, I love you. No. We did all that kind of, ooh, kind of stuff, you know, but, you know, as we were falling in love, we made that decision to get love, uh, get love, we made that decision to get married, and, and uh, we, we said our vows, and when we, it was 16 years ago that we got married, and, and when we were getting married, we had no clue what was in store. We didn't know some of the ups that we would go through together and some of the downs that we would go through together, some of the good times, bad times, hard times, easy times. All we knew is that 
we believed that God had brought us together and we were willing to take this jump of faith together and, and trust that God was going to take care of us and trust that God had put us together. We wanted to be married. In a practical matter, back in 2004, I bought my truck. Now, I test drove my truck before I bought it. I said, I, I think I like this truck. Uh, but I didn't know if it was going to be. It's been a great vehicle for me for, for almost nine years now, and I hope to have it another nine or ten. But I didn't know that uh, it, it would be a good vehicle. I, I did, uh, it could have been a lemon. I, I, I'd looked at it. I had smelled it. It smelled good. You know, it smells good. It must be a good vehicle, you know. So, uh, you know, I mean, here you go. Let's buy it, you know, type stuff. But I didn't know what the future was going to hold. I, I had to take a, a step of faith. Well, the same thing's true in our spiritual lives. You know, you can analyze God, and you can look at things and you can ask questions and there's no no problem with that. Uh, You can be that seeing as believing person, but at some point in your spiritual life, you have to take a leap of faith. You just have to believe in God and trust in him with your life. You see, if you become that person that says, I'm never going to exercise faith in my life, then you become that individual that spends all of your life suffering from analysis paralysis. Anybody ever suffered from analysis paralysis? I know I have in my life. It's not a very fun place to be. Now, this royal official had made two mistakes. Mistake number one, he assumed Jesus had to go to Capernaum. That was his plan. Come with me to Capernaum. Mistake number two, he assumed that if his boy died, it would be too late. So Jesus looks at him and says, get out your Scantron. Do they still use Scantrons? Okay, get out your Scantron. I'm about to test your faith. And so in verse 50, go, Jesus told him, your son will live. Now that wasn't his plan. Go, just leave you, your son will live. Now the Bible says the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. So the man made a choice to believe. Now Jesus didn't give him any evidence that his son was healed. Jesus didn't pull out his iPhone 27 AD and say, hey, let me show you my future camera where you can see a picture of your boy tomorrow and know that he's going to be okay. Jesus didn't argue with the man about his qualifications to perform the healing. He didn't say, hey, look, I'm the son of God. I was here. You see those mountains over there? I I sculpted that. He didn't argue with him about his qualifications. All he did was give the man his word. And the royal official had to choose, do I believe him or not? Do I trust in this or not? And the Bible says that he made a choice, and the implication is that he made a conscious choice to believe. Now in verse 51, while he is still going down, his slaves met him saying that his boy was alive. And he asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. And the father realized that this was the very hour in which Jesus had told him, your son will live. 
And then he himself believed along with his whole household. So there we see that word believed again. Earlier when Jesus told him, go, your son will be healed, he believes. He comes down and he's told, hey, your son is better. And the Bible says then he believes, but not only does he believe, his whole household believes. Now, belief is key to this entire passage. So let's map out his journey of faith. The royal man started out with a crisis faith. He had a problem, and in his problem, he turned to Jesus. He had a problem that was so big he couldn't fix it. He couldn't pay for it. He couldn't make it go away. So in his crisis, he chose to believe that maybe Jesus could help. He reached out to God. And from his crisis faith, God led him to a choosing faith. Now, important for you to note God's plan was different than his plan. His plan was very clearly spelled out. Come with me, meet my son, heal him. God's plan was, go, your boy's okay. Jesus only gave him his word, and he had to make a choice. Am I going to believe God at his word? He had a crisis faith, which led to a choosing faith, which then led to a confirmed faith. You see, he learned that God is always, always, always faithful. He had a crisis faith, a choosing faith, a confirmed faith, and then he had a contagious faith. Not only did he believe, his whole household believed. The faith that he exercised became contagious amongst his loved ones so that all of them became people of faith. Now, hey, I've walked that same journey in my life, and I'm guessing most of you have as well. We all find ourselves in a situation of crisis faith because we have a spiritual problem that we cannot solve. That spiritual problem is sin. The Bible says that all sin, all fall short of God and His glory. None of us are perfect And even though I try to be good, I try to be a philanthropic person, I try to love kids, I try to have good karma in my life, it can still never overcome the reality that I am a sinner. Now, the Bible also says that the wages of my sin is death. And so it doesn't take uh, much discernment to realize that we live in a world that is broken by sin, We live in a world that is in many ways decaying, and we find ourselves all with a destiny with death. One day, every one of us will die. doesn't matter how many protein shakes you put down, how many miles you run. uh, You might be able to extend your date with death, but ultimately, all of us will die. Isn't this encouraging? Let's stand and sing Kumbaya today. So all of us find ourselves in a crisis situation where we can't overcome the reality of the world that we live in. So at some point, we have to make a choice. Do I just choose to believe nihilistically that this is all that there is, or do I believe that there is something bigger than this, that there is a God, that there is something for me to believe in? So that then leads us to a choosing faith. 
The scriptures tell us that God's plan for our redemption is Jesus. That God so loved the world that he sent his son. That his son lived the life that you could never live, that I could never live. His son lived a sinless life. Now, the scriptures also teach us that when Jesus died on the cross, it was not just a martyr dying for what he truly believed in, but he was dying as an atonement for your sins and mine. Whenever he was placed into the grave, death could not contain him. He overcame the wages of sin. He overcame death. And the scriptures say, for whosoever believes there's our word, believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So the scriptures teach us that God's plan for redemption is through Jesus Christ, that God's call to you and to me is to believe in Jesus. And when someone repenting of sin believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God sees them in Christ. So when God sees Christ, he sees me as a believer. When God sees his son, he sees me as his son. Whenever God sees his son overcoming death, he sees me overcoming death in his son because I am spiritually speaking in Christ. That is the plan of God that unfolds itself on the pages of scripture. It's what we call the gospel. Now it may not be your plan for how you would redeem the world. If you were God, that may not be how you would script it out. Maybe you, uh, you would script it out where, where I don't know, you, you, I would just make a lousy God, you know? I mean, if I were God, every time I got stuck in traffic, there would be like mass death in DFW. I would be a horrible God. So I'm not God, and, and, and you're not God, but what we have is, is we have God's plan. You say, well, now, show me the evidence that uh, this is God's plan so that I can believe in it. Well, I can, I can show you evidence that uh, it makes sense for you to believe in God, and we can talk about evidence that it makes sense that Jesus is his son. I mean, I've done sermon series on this. I've taught classes on this. But ultimately, the evidence is still limited. Uh, you cannot put Jesus or the cross in a beaker and put it through a scientific experiment and say, here you go, here's empirical evidence that Jesus is God's son. At some point, you just have to choose to believe. I believe. I take God at his word that Jesus is God's son. And I take that leap of faith, trusting in God. So we have a crisis faith, our sin, which leads us to a choosing faith to believe in Christ, which then leads us to a confirmed faith. You see, there's an aspect to Christianity that cannot be explained until you become a Christian, and that is the joy of knowing God. And one of the uniquenesses of Christianity is that we're not called to simply a set of beliefs, but we're called to a relationship. We're actually called to be the children of God, to know him, to walk with him, to have a relationship with him. And there's an element to that 
that has to be experienced. And whenever you experience it, God confirms his faithfulness in your life over and over and over again. Even whenever you walk through difficult times, you fear no evil for his rod and his staff, they comfort you. And you begin to learn that God is always faithful. And that faith that you had whenever you believed in Christ is confirmed in your life as you continue to grow and believe in him and trust him with the details of your life. And it leads you to have a contagious faith. Hey, faith was never meant to be quarantined. I hear this frequently said, faith is a private matter. It's just kind of between me and God. It's something that I keep in the back room. Uh, I'm ki- I kind of hoard faith. It's a gift that God gave me, but I just kind of hoard it to myself. Faith is supposed to be contagious. Faith overflows in our life. Faith changes the way that I relate to my kids, the way that I relate to my spouse. It changes the way that I see the world around me. It changes the reason why I go to work. It changes how I spend my money, how I save my money, uh, what I worship. Faith is a contagious thing. And faith, when it begins to flow in your life, is contagious. Other people want it. You see, I, I pray that one of the things that we never fall into as a church is this toxic Christianity. Uh, this Christianity that really pushes people away from the cross instead of drawing them to it. I I pray in our lives that there is a grace and a faith that is like living water. That, Zach, when people meet you at school, or Steve, when people meet you at work, or, uh, you know, when when they run into you in the community, Rick, that, that they say, whatever that guy has, I want it. There's something contagious there. Because the faith that you have in your life is alive. So here's a question for you. What is God using in your life right now to grow your faith? What is God using in your life right now to grow your faith? In my life, it's those circumstances I talked to you about earlier. I mean, these are life and death matters in in my immediate family. And God's using those things to grow my faith, and I think we need to realize that faith is not an optional exercise in the Christian life. You know, it's easy to turn your Christianity into simply a moralistic deism where you have rights and wrongs, but you don't really have a relationship with God, and you don't really have a trust in God. You simply have a behavioral code where you have, quote-unquote, faith, but you're never really trusting in anything. You're just trying to behave well. Or it's easy to turn your Christianity into something where you have knowledge and you're learning about the Scriptures and you're able to argue theology and you're able to communicate biblical truth and you have this knowledge but you don't really have depth or relationship or you're trusting in God. Faith is meant to be lived out. And what that means is that God's going to sometimes have a different script than you do. There's going to be times where God sends you down paths that you never imagined, and you're going to have to make that choice. Do I trust God, even though this isn't how I envisioned my life going here? This wasn't how I wrote it. Am I going to continue to trust God? Am I going to choose to consciously trust God and put my faith in Him, even when the path of life takes an unexpected twist? Having faith means that I have to push through discouragement. There is a theology that's out there that says that if you just have enough faith in life, you will be healthy and wealthy. You will never get sick, and and you will have a lot of wealth. 
It's kind of two parts narcissism and one part Jesus. You can find it on TV all the time. There's a word for it. It's called heresy. I mean, read your Bible. Every single major figure in the Bible went through adversity. They went through discouragement. God's own son was crucified. And God calls us to push through those discouraging moments, those difficult moments, and to trust him because God wants you to turn to him and God wants you to find strength that only he can give you. And so as a person of faith, I have to make a conscious effort to choose to trust in God. I'm going to choose to believe in him. I'm going to choose to live my life for him. And here's what's amazing. When you choose to believe in God, God begins using your life in a contagious way. Others are brought to God because of your faith in Him. Whenever you choose to be that person of faith, that's when you really start living. I say it a lot. Life is not lived in the safety zone. Life is lived in the faith zone. Trust God. Let Him direct your path. Let Him take you down some directions that you didn't envision. Trust God that he's bigger and stronger and more capable than you. Put the totality of you in his care and let him be God. All through scripture, when you see God's people exercising faith, you see the power and movement of God in their lives. And so I leave you with this passage of scripture from Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and come to a time of commitment? I want to ask you, first of all, this morning, has there ever been that time in your life where you have made that clear, conscious choice to believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? And if there's never been that time in your life, I invite you to make that moment now. I invite you right now to call out to God and say, Lord, I I sin. I ask forgiveness of that sin. And I place my faith in Jesus. I'm trusting in Him as my Savior and Lord and asking that you will help me to live my life for you. I want to challenge you, if you've never had that moment where you've believed in Christ, to make this your moment of belief. I trust in Jesus. I believe in Him. He's my Savior. If today's your moment of belief, I encourage you to let me know. I want to rejoice with you. I'll be here on the front row, and you can come let me know during this next song. I'll be here in the worship area after church, and You can let me know during that time. Let me know. Let somebody in your life that walks with God know. Today I made a choice. I I chose to believe. In a lot of our lives today, there are some difficulties. Challenges that we may not talk about often. Perhaps even private matters. Areas of our life where God is growing our faith. And so I ask you this question this morning. 
Are you trusting in God? Are you choosing to believe? Place your care in Him. Maybe He's showing you an area of your life where you're still holding back. You've trusted Him with these areas, but there's still still this other. Where God is saying, trust me here. Have faith in me here. And today needs to be a moment of surrender where you trust in God. Lord, help us to be people of faith. Help us to believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.